This morning from 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. God, we again just um, stand in awe of all that you are and have done for us. We are humbled, Lord, and, and grateful that you have come near in Christ to save us and to restore us to relationship with yourself. This life is hard, but you are good. And we ask God that in the looking at your word together this morning, that our hearts would be strengthened to believe you and to love you and to walk in obedience with you, Father, as you have saved us for. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I wasn't here last week. We've had um, been having a series of meetings up at His Hill with some of the um, leadership in Torchbearers in North America, as well as the Executive Committee for Torchbearers Internationally. And that's been going really well. It's over now, and I appreciate your, your prayers for us with that. appreciate Clay Patrick standing in for me last week. Um, I don't know if you all ever watch um, the gymnastics when the Olympics are on. One of my favorite things to, to watch. I'm always amazed. And, and both the male and female, men and women's gymnastics, just incredible. Um, you know, the, the men with the, with the strength and, and the coordination, whether it's the rings or the, or the, or the horse the, or, the, or the bars or whatever they're doing. And the same with the women. But really, for me, one of the things that amazes me more than anything else in watching gymnastics, whether it's the men or the women, is that they can do all those twists and spins and jump up in the air and land down and know exactly where they are. That would not be the case for me. Um, I, I have never aspired to be a gymnast. Um, I, I had that... Any, any thought of that taken from me when I was about, I think it was the seventh grade. We were in a PE class, and I don't remember why. Um, nothing in, in junior high made a lot of sense to me. But um, the, the coach had about 70, 80 boys in the room, and there were these wrestling mats on the floor all tied together. And, and the object, he said, is just very simple. I want, and he'd send like 10 boys at a time across the mats just doing a somersault. 
just a somersault from one end of the mat to the other. Easy. Anybody can do a somersault. And I can do a somersault. The problem is, as I got to the midpoint, somehow I got so dizzy and so disoriented that I turned around and came right back. <laughs> and you think, well, wouldn't I have known that there were, I'm doing this all by myself now? That, but see, the coach would send other kids once you got to the midpoint. And so now I'm doing somersaults into the next 10 that are on their way. And, um, and I couldn't understand why everybody was laughing um, until I realized that I'm back to where I started. And the whole place is laughing. The coaches were crying. They were laughing so hard. And I realized at that moment, I will never be a gymnast. Um, I don't have the orientation. The goal was simple. And the goal seemed to be attainable. Um, but I couldn't do it. And I come to this passage of Scripture, and there's a pretty lofty goal here, especially in that one part, be holy as God is holy. That is very lofty, and it does not seem attainable. What do we do with this? You say, well, it's not for us. It'll never happen. That's not where Peter's going. You wouldn't have said it if it wasn't attainable. Really, you know, I, I, I've come to realize that a lot of motivation in life um, depends upon um, attainability and the inherent value of what the goal is. So here's the goal, X. Do I really want it? So the inherent value of the goal and whether or not it's attainable contributes to my motivation. And if there's no value in the goal or it's an impossible goal, well, then I'm not motivated. A lot of Christians, um, it would seem our motivation in life is not very high. Um, Take away all conflict from us. Um, Keep us happy. Recognition, appreciation, respect being loved, everyone liking you, absence of pain of any kind. And those become our goals because they seem like they have a lot of value and they may, in fact, even seem attainable. But that is not the goal that God has set before us. Verse 13 starts with therefore. And then he's going to say, Therefore, here are some things that you should be doing. But what is the therefore, therefore? And if you recall, in these previous 12 verses, there are a number of things that Peter's been saying. And he's writing, remember, to a persecuted people who are scattered all across Asia Minor because of that persecution. And right from the beginning, he tells them, this is God's choice. This is not a mistake. God knew about this. It is happening according to the foreknowledge of God. And you have been chosen for this purpose, to suffer. God's goal is different than my goal then. (laughs) My goal is to avoid suffering. And God's goal here, chosen to be scattered, a scattered, persecuted people. Why? So that you would know the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and that you would obey Jesus Christ 
And then he says, and also be sprinkled with his blood. That's God's goal. Sanctification, obedience to Christ, participation in, identification with Christ's sufferings. And we need, as he says at the end of verse 2, God's grace and peace for these things. Amen to that. He goes on, you recall, to say that we've been born again to a living hope. It's very important because hope gives motivation. There's no hope of attaining and there's no motivation to continue. And we've been born again to a living hope through Christ who has been raised from the dead. So no matter what ha happens circumstantially, our hope need never die because Jesus will never die. He's alive. And that we have the hope of, in, of an inheritance which he is keeping for us in heaven. And we ourselves are being kept safe by the power of God. And in these things we can greatly rejoice. We shouldn't, neither should we be surprised that there is suffering in this world because even Jesus suffered before he was glorified. And the same will be true for us. And that brings us to the therefore of verse 13. Therefore, knowing what God is after, sanctification, obedience, identification with the sprinkled blood of Christ and his sufferings, an inheritance in glory, a faith that is more precious and enduring than, than even gold and silver. These are the things that God is after. Therefore, gird your minds for action. That's the first of several things here that Paul, Peter is listing. Gird your minds for action is first. Keep sober in spirit is second. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Third, fourth, is not to be conformed to this world, and, and then fifth, to be holy in all of our behavior, and then finally, that we um, would conduct ourselves in fear during our stay upon the earth. Gird your minds for action. Now, after reaching the great milestone of 60 years old, and having been at his hill now for over 30 years, and been preaching in this church now for, I don't know how many it is, 27, 28 years. Sometimes all I think about is just sitting on the front porch and drinking my iced tea. And maybe getting out the gun that the church bought me and plinking away a little bit. That would be a nice, just cruise into the sunset kind of life. There's never a time when the Lord wants us just to put it on autopilot. Never a time when he says just cruise. Whether we're in the first decade of our life or the last decade, the Lord says, gird your minds. As a parent, that was one of the things that, we have to, that I was working to instill in our kids. I'm not sure how successful we were with it. But because um, there's a lot of emotion. And, and Ryan's my favorite one to pick on, and he's not here. He's the furthest away, so I can get away with it more than the, with the others. But... He was a pretty emotional kid. And he, and he would allow his emotions to rule everything. And so one of my jobs I recognize in that even the first decade of his life was, son, you've got to get this under control here. You, you've got to gird yourself up here. And he tells the story how I, one time I sent him, put him out in the backyard and I gave him a pick and a shovel. And I said, start digging holes. 
And when he says, how many holes, Dad? And I said, as many as it takes before you, your heart is changed. And he dug three holes before he had a heart change. But he was learning in that to not be ruled by his emotions, but to take control of them. Gird your minds for action. When a person is just being pummeled and he just goes, what is the point? And these were Christians who were being persecuted for their faith, pummeled. It's hard to think of anything other than just enduring. If I can just endure, I'll be happy. And Peter's going, uh-uh, it's beyond enduring. It's girding your minds for action. It's amazing. That is supernatural. Our prayer so many times is, God, just get me through the day. You know these people were praying like that. Another day, God, get us through the day. And Peter's saying, God wants to do more than get you through the day. He wants to work in you in such a way that you are ready and prepared for action. Available to God, whatever that would be. Responsive to Him. This is not about being self-willed. It's not about setting out on your own course, your own agenda. But it's about being responsive to what the Lord wants. Ready for His service. Keep sober in spirit. Sober is the idea of, of not giving in to indulgence. Because that's the other thing. We can just say, I quit. And, but in quitting, we can just give ourselves to stop the fight. Stop resisting. And we can just, just give ourselves over to every kind of wanton pleasure. And we aren't sober in spirit. But if we really believe that Jesus could return at any moment, could we endure the next moment? Could we be sober in that moment? Could we be ready for action? We know we could. And one of the things that's motivating throughout this passage is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the soon return of Christ. Keep sober in spirit. Now, interestingly, those two statements, gird your minds for action and keep sober in spirit, are, are participles. And so they're not the main part of the sentence. The main part here is actually the next statement, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then the next main thing he's going to say is be holy. And in between, do not be conformed to this world. But as you look at these, at these six statements that he's making, particularly the first five, the main two statements are fix your hope and be holy. Hope and holiness. When you lose your hope, you don't really care about holiness anymore. You've just thrown in the towel. Fix your hope and be holy. That's the central thing that Peter is saying in this passage. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is coming. It's been 2,000 years since Peter wrote those words. And they were true then and they're true now. And it is to be 
a motivating influence, a guarding, sobering influence in our lives, the hope that Jesus Christ is coming, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. As obedient children, I want to pause on this one for a minute. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance. Colossians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 describes the unbeliever as a son of disobedience. And we are not that. We are, when we were born into this world, we were born um, with a sin nature, and, we were, and there's this something in us that just says, I'm going to have my way and nobody's going to tell me what to do. In every one of us, we are disobedient. But when we place our faith in Christ, we have an obedient nature. An orientation now in us that desires and longs to be pleasing to God. And it rejoices our heart to even think that we might stand before Him in glory one day and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> oh man, really? I mean, that talk, that's motivation. That God would say to us, I am pleased with you. Amazing. And the scripture says that He is pleased with us. He says concerning his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus says, I always do the things which please my father. Obedient in all things. And this is what we are. And obedient children don't live their lives for the fulfillment of their lust. Now we think of lust as, as something inherently sinful. I don't think that's always true. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life that John talks about in 1 John. The lust of the eyes can, can just be, man, that guy's got a nice car. Wish I had a car like that. The lust of the flesh, I mean, it's not necessarily inherently sinful. But it's desiring something that isn't God's will for me. And I want it now. And I'm not going to wait on it. I was, was told in the last couple days about a testimony of a woman who, before she was raised in a Christian home, and her, as far as back as she can remember, um, she was more masculine in her, in her orientation than feminine. And she began to, to develop a desire, a longing to be male. And so when she was old enough to make that decision, um, she went through the whole process to become transgender. Surgeries, everything to become male. And guess what? She says, I wasn't happy. And she began to realize that the hole in her heart had nothing to do with her sexual longings. But it was for Christ. But she's already gone through it all. She's had all the surgeries, and she's realizing this did not make me happy. And she ends up giving her heart to Christ. And then she's going, God, now what do I do? 
I have so messed up my life. And Jesus comforted her and spoke to her and said to her, I've saved you, and I can fix this. It's amazing. It was a powerful testimony. I listened to it just last night. One of the things that was most powerful about that testimony is this young woman is saying she lived 10 years as a man, lived with a, in a relationship with a man who was living as a woman during that whole 10 years. But she kept coming back. She says, the world is telling us, pursue your feelings. Pursue your desires. Pursue your passions. It's just another way of saying, pursue your lusts. This is an amazing testimony. And she goes, and I'm reading God's word and listening to God's word. And even during those 10 years where she was living as a man, she was constantly listening to Christian radio. And she's hearing things like, animals live according to their feelings. Animals live according to their lusts and their passions. We're not animals. We've been made in the image of God. We have the capacity to say no to those things and to be obedient to God. And she knew it was true. She said, for years I tried to fit God into my feelings. And it never worked. Her parents believing people and godly people, and they were part of the, of, uh, they also spoke at the tail end of her testimony. And, and, and at one point, you know, the mother just constantly praying for her daughter, wanting her daughter to be fixed. And, and her daughter showed up in church, and the mother was just so embarrassed, didn't want her to come to church because she didn't want people to, under, to see what she had done to herself. And, and she's sitting, she said she's sitting up on the platform, playing the piano, looking out across the congregation, wondering if her daughter, who's now dressed in, and looking like a man, has showed up in church or not. And, and God just convicted her. And she says, and, and ironically, the message that Sunday was on the prodigal son. And she realized that God said to her, you stop worrying about your daughter and trying to fix your daughter. Your one concern is me. You work on your relationship with me, I'll work on your daughter. And she really just released her daughter to Christ, and she focused on her own relationship with Jesus. And the daughter realized, and the mom said to her one time, never with any condemnation, but she said, because the daughter was saying, Mom, I wanna, I've yielded my life to Christ. I want Christ to, to work in me. But the feelings are still there. And her mother very wisely said, choose to obey him by faith, and the feelings will follow. And that young woman said, and it's true. The feelings are gone. God has totally changed me. Praise God. We're living in such a crazy time. Has there ever been a time in the world where the world is saying to everybody, if whatever you feel is right. If you feel male and you're a woman, then you're male. If you feel female and you're a man, then you're a woman. Really? It's craziness. 
Would we say if you feel like throwing a brick through your neighbor's window that you should go throw the brick through the neighbor's window? It's nonsense. That is not humanity. That is insanity. And here Peter says, you're obedient children, not obedient to your lusts, to your feelings, your desires, your passions. You know the guy on on television that has that program, um, America's Dirtiest Jobs or something like that? Guy has become very wealthy just just speaking to corporations all the time about the value of hard work. And I heard him on the radio not long ago saying, this is such nonsense telling people to pursue their passions. He goes, have you ever watched American Idol? And I know exactly where he's going with that. You know, and you have all these people that are passionate about their ability. And they believe they're good. And you're listening to them, you go, this is like a cat with his tail caught in the door. What makes you think you can sing? You are deceived. But they're pursuing their passions. And it's insanity. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come after me. Why? We've made, we, we have done such masterful jobs of ruining our lives before we were Christians. Why will we continue to pursue our passions and longings and feelings after we become a Christian? It makes no sense whatsoever. No wonder Peter says, do not be conformed to the former lusts. Whatever they were, it doesn't have to continue. You are in Christ. You can be obedient children, obedient to the Lord, and not just slaves of your desires, as Paul says in Romans 6. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. High standard. Impossible standard. I've become convinced that if we, if we have adopted standards that are doable, they are not God's standards. Because God's standards are himself. And it is impossible for us to live a life that is true to Jesus Christ in our own strength. Because that's what he's after. And it cannot be attained in our own strength. What is the motivation of the church today? It's largely just grace. Give grace. Show grace. Be loving. Be compassionate. People are living in their sin. Don't even call it sin. People are destroying their lives with their choices. Don't call them to the true grace of God. By the grace of God, you do not have to live this way. I had a student at one of the Torchbearer schools many years ago. I, was, I forget what I was even, even speaking on, but I, 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 I do remember I was trying to make the point that when we become Christians, the standard is Jesus Christ. And this student was literally screaming at me, legalism. Legalism. I couldn't believe it. I have a friend that was recently teaching at a, at a, at a place, and he was saying that there, as a Christian, there are consequences for our sin. 
And he was speaking from Joshua in the story of Achan, who, who after the battle of Jericho, he took some of the gold and silver for himself and hid it. And he and his family all died. And he says, even as a Christian, there are consequences for sin. And a group of the people that were there said, legalism, legalism. And he has been told he will never be allowed to speak in that venue again. Wow. Because we've become a people that's all about self-fulfillment. All about our happiness. And grace is now defined in such a way that I can do whatever I want. Because it makes me happy. And that's what God wants for me. God wants us to be like himself, not conform to our lust, but holy in all of our behavior. A hope that is fixed on him and a holy people. It's pretty powerful stuff. Impossible for us apart from him. It doesn't mean that we never laugh, never have fun. I think I, I laugh more as I get older. I also cry more. I, th I think on many levels I am enjoying life more than I ever have. But at the same time, I'm more grieved by life than I've never been. But isn't that the way it is with God? Jesus, again, in John 17, he wants us to know his joy. In John 15, these things I have written so that you might know my joy. And yet Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. There's no contradiction. A holy life will be a life of true joy. But it will also be a life marked by grief and sorrow. It will be a clean life. It will be a good life be a life without shame, a life without regret, a life that's lived in the open. Anybody could walk into our homes at any time and we would not be embarrassed. This is only possible in Christ for the person who, who yields himself to the Lord Jesus and says, Jesus, is this what you want? And this is what I want. And I thank you that you are sufficient for this. And then, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. Christians should fear God. Not act as though the grace of God means that I will not ever encounter the discipline of God. God has judged our sin in Jesus Christ. We will never, ever encounter the wrath of God. Scripture is so clear on that. But it also says that if you are without discipline, you are not a child of God. And that God disciplines His children because He loves us. And that is an awesome thing. Fearful It's never fun, but a loving father will always discipline his children. And we will be too. 
If we do not live as obedient children with our hope fixed on, on Christ and His grace as holy as unto the Lord, then we will know God's discipline. Again, the message so much of the church today is that's just grace. You can, can everything you do is covered by the grace of God. Well, amen. But that doesn't mean I'm free to do everything I want to do. Conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. One of the biggest cultural um, differences that I was exposed to when I was working with inner city kids that lived in the housing projects in Dallas is they never said where they lived. They said where they stayed. We talk about where we live. They talk about where they stay. And the reason is, is because life is not very permanent for them. And they may be staying one place for a period of time and another place another period of time. And it was like that for all those kids that I knew. Very transient life. It's like that for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. It's a transient life. There's very little permanence, very little that they can count on. And we are deceived and lulled to sleep and thinking because we've been living in the same place for several decades that this is our home. This is not our home. We're just traveling through. The people that Peter's writing to have lost their homes. They've lost most of their possessions. They're scattered. They're aliens. And he says, what's new with that? <laughs> he goes, all God do is doing is bringing you to the reality this is what we've always been. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on earth. We are aliens here. We are strangers. We are sojourners. We are just passing through. And if we live that way, with that in mind, in this world, then we wouldn't take so much time to be pleasing and acceptable to the world that we're just passing through. And whenever I travel to a different country... I really don't spend that much time trying to learn the cultures and, every, the, and everything of the country because I'm going, I'm out of here in a few days, right? But if you're going to live there for a long time, then you're real concerned to learn everything you can about that culture so that you can fit in and assimilate. Wrong mentality for a believer in Jesus Christ. We want to know our culture, but it's not so that we can fit into it. It's so that we can reach it. This is simply a temporary stay upon earth. But the real motivation for keeping ourselves holy before the Lord is, you know, I hate even saying it that way because God has to do it, but a life that is, that is holy and obedient and not conformed to our lust, the real motivation is that we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. As Paul would say, we are not our own. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And that blood of Christ is more valuable. And again, part of motivation is a goal which is attainable, but also has intrinsic value. And the goal here 
is to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, as Paul will say in Colossians. The goal here is Jesus himself, knowing that he spilled his blood, which is more valuable than all the silver and gold in the world, that he's already paid that for you and I. Hebrews will say that when we disregard God as believers, we are trampling underfoot the Son of God. His blood is precious. The blood of a lamb, unblemished, spotless. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in not having any problems. So that your faith and hope are having everyone like you. So that your faith and hope are to be able to live happily ever after on this planet. So that your faith and hope are in God. That's God's goal. It may not be ours, but it is His. So it seems to me that Peter is saying in the first part of this chapter, God knows your trials and He has a purpose in them, our conformity to Jesus Christ. And in the last part of, of this section we were just looking at, you know, verse 18, knowing, you know, God knows what you're going through, and he has a purpose in it. And you know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So because of what God knows and what you know, your hope should be fixed on Jesus Christ. And our lives should be as holy as His is. Minds girded for action, sober in spirit, hope fixed on Him, holy like God, and conducting ourselves in fear. Because we know it's worth it. Because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We know that these are not indications of failure when we go through trial, but it's God working to bring us into conformity to His Son. The goal, Peter puts it, faith and hope, and then the very next paragraph, the end of chapter 1, love. Faith, hope, and love. How do I know whether God is having His way with me? How is your faith? How is your hope? How is your love? It's one thing to, to ha lose all faith in every person. It's one thing to have no hope in anything in this world. That's not so bad. That is, we're on the right road when we begin to lose all faith in ourselves and in everyone else so that our faith would be in God. We are on the right road when we become without hope for any human institution, any relationship, that there is nothing in this world that will give me what I need. Then we're on our way to hoping in God alone, a living hope that will never fail us.
The goal is just simply Jesus and likeness to Him. Paul spoke of the hope of glory in Colossians chapter 1. And I believe what he was after with that is saying the hope of being like Him. How can that ever happen? Because Christ has come to indwell us. In 1 John, John says we will be like Him when we see Him. And it is this hope which purifies us. That Jesus is in us and He is bringing us into conformity to Himself. And that work will be finished when we see Him. We'll be like Him. And that motivates us to have our hope fixed completely on Him and to live a life that is honoring and worthy of Him in all respects, holy because He is holy. I hope this doesn't come across as being legalistic. Go out and do your best to be holy. That's not what I'm saying. It's not even possible but to recognize that God's agenda for you and I is that what is true of Him would be true of us. That is attainable in Christ. He is able to do this. But it does mean that I cannot be like Him while pursuing the things that I want in my life. And it might be as simple as just saying, no more conflict, no more problems, enough money to retire comfortably, whatever it is, as long as I have my goal of what's going to make life happy for me, then I am being conformed to my former lust, and I will not see the Lord do in me all that he desires. We have to come to that that humble, broken place of saying, Jesus, I've tried it my way, and I see where it leads. Here I am. Do in me of your good pleasure. Here I am. When our hope is fixed on him and what he is able to do, then he is free to reproduce in us his very nature in character. And I believe we see it all around us all the time. People who have said, not my way, Lord, your way. Not my will, thy will. And they've been willing to not live for their own pleasure, for their own happiness, to live in denial of themselves because God's word says, this is my standard. And they say, God, all I want is what you want. And they are trusting God, and it brings great pain and sorrow to their life because the world and even the church is screaming at us and saying, why would you not choose your happiness? It's amazing. And everybody standing around is saying, you should be happy. You should be choosing what would make you fulfilled. You should just be going with your passions. And you know the Spirit of God is saying, say yes to me and no to yourself. painful, but at the same time, a deep joy that can't even be expressed, because God is giving His amen when we say no to ourselves and yes to Him, and He is free to do these things in our lives. 
God's goal is Christ-likeness, nothing else. I'll close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, I do thank you that you are um, absolutely committed and will never waver in your commitment to us. And that you are able by the power of your resurrected life to bring each of us into that conformity to yourself. That we who are sinful people can actually live holy lives before you. That is redemption. It's the power of God for our salvation. And I thank you, God, for what you have done and what you're doing. Lord, our hope so many times is, 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 is just a thread. And I pray that as we lose hope, God, in, in our circumstances, in our relationships, that we would not lose hope in you, but that hope would be refined and strengthened and purified where all we can ha have is just you. And we fix our hope on Jesus Christ alone and in his imminent coming. Thank you for your grace, God, which you richly supply for every soul that is open to you to receive of you, for you to do in us all of, that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.